In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Mother of us all. Amen. Friends, for many people around the globe, this has been an extremely challenging week. As the people of Houston and the surrounding area in Texas and Louisiana continue to face the horrific reality of flooding and of water damage, we are only just beginning, now that those floodwaters are receding, to see the painful difference and impact that this horrible storm had on those bodies who are black and brown and on those who belong to a lower socioeconomic class in Houston and the surrounding area. And at the same time as that, it's been baffling to watch how while some states are drowning in water, other states are choking on smoke and ash, Montana and California particularly. And then with all of the strife of different folks who live in the U.S., whose lives are in our minds and they're on our TVs, the people of Bangladesh and India and Nepal have been drowning in floodwaters on the other side of the globe all week. And with thousands, thousands of lives lost there, these countries have not only been facing extreme strife, but they've also been facing underreporting. As it seems that our world has chosen not to focus its attention on that disaster and the sinfulness of valuing some lives on this globe more than others. Siblings in Christ, creation is groaning, and God's children are groaning. And there is so much pain, and there is so much loss, and there is so much grief. And it's been a heavy week. Throughout the week, I've been reminded of my time spent in the city of New Orleans just after Hurricane Katrina hit. Whenever any of us embark on an effort to serve one another and to serve the Lord, whether it be in our country or our own city or in our neighborhood— or other countries or cities or neighborhoods, we bring expectations with us. To the vibrant and beloved city of New Orleans, I brought my own expectations. That I would build great relationships, that I would see real progress and change while I was there, that my help would be appreciated, and that in some way this service trip might provide an ounce of healing to the people of New Orleans. I remember this trip so vividly because it was during it that I experienced one of the most painful moments of my life. As I was riding on a bus in the Ninth Ward, an extremely segregated and impoverished part of the city, I saw horrific destruction that far surpassed the level of destruction in other parts of New Orleans. I looked pain straight in the face, realizing that the wounds of racism and classism and poor treatment of our environment and hurricanes are not ones that will be healed after one well-meaning service trip. I saw when I was there, trailer upon trailer upon trailer, a village of temporary housing that I figured would be for those without a home after the hurricane. And then I learned that in addition to drowning in water, The people of New Orleans had been drowning for years on well-meaning help from others. Those trailers were there to house volunteers that were coming down by the busload in order to help, to serve, to love, to give. They meant so well, and yet 
They didn't realize that they were putting an unreasonable demand on the city for housing. As those volunteers lived in trailers, they were displacing people who were already without a home into unsanitary shanty towns on the edge of the bayou. On that bus, I realized in a moment with tears streaming down my face that though we are called by God to serve one another, the service and the love that we extend is always extremely imperfect. Every single week when we leave this place, we are commissioned. After we have gathered with a reminder of our baptism at the font and the fact that God has chosen us, has specifically chosen you and you and you and you and me and called us beautiful and named us beloved, after we have heard the word of God and we've sung in response, sometimes quietly, (laughs) after we have confessed our faith alongside those who have gone before us, after we've made peace with one another, after we have tasted Jesus Christ, the word made flesh, on our lips, after we have received the blessing one more time and remembered that God loves us with such an intensity that we could never even begin to imagine or understand, after all of that, we face the back and we hear the words, Go in peace, serve the Lord. And we respond, thanks be to God. Now, we're very used to these words. They're ingrained on our lips, and they're they're kind of built into our hearts in a way that helps us say them in the midst of shuffling around and grabbing our stuff off the floor and getting ready to leave. And in that flurry of activity at the end of church, thanks be to God can feel a little bit like an afterthought. And on top of that, I don't know about you, But in response to being asked to serve, in response to God's call to us to serve, saying thank you is a little weird. (laughs) It feels like maybe we should be saying, yes, God, we promise to serve the Lord, or we're going to try our best, or at least, yeah, we heard you. But instead we say thank you. Thank you. Why? We say, thanks be to God at the end of service because we know of the brokenness of the world and of humanity and because we know that any promises we make on the way out of church, even when Jesus Christ is still inside our bodies after taking communion and even when the good news and grace is still ringing fresh in our ears, we know that those promises are going to fall flat. We know somewhere deep inside that the service that we will extend to one another is going to be imperfect. That this week when we leave, we will be guilty of the sin, maybe of not paying attention to the pain of certain parts of the world, or that we'll extend service and hospitality on our own terms instead of on the terms that the people of Texas and Louisiana and Montana are asking for, or that we'll fail at listening or offering our whole selves and not just a part of ourselves, that we will seek first to protect our own interests. We know that there's no possible way we can do all of those things that Paul suggests in that reading from Romans today. It was long. That was a lot of things. To love one another with mutual affection, to be ardent in spirit, to be patient in suffering, to bless those who persecute us. That was a long list. 
and we can't do it all. We know that we're human and that we are not God. That's a hard pill to swallow, friends, particularly because we live in an achievement culture, a community and a world that tells us that our lives are somehow worth more if we can cram more into them. We live in a culture that tells us that taking time to breathe makes us lazy and that tells us that we constantly have to try harder and be better and do enough and fill our schedules. That's the air that we breathe, especially at this time of year when programs kick in and school starts and schedules fill up. This response at this time of year, this response, thanks be to God, is maybe one of the only times during the week that we're honest before ourselves and before God. When we're able to admit that, yeah, we're broken, and we will try, and we know we're going to need forgiveness desperately. When we thank God for loving and trusting us enough to call us to do God's work, to enact change in this world, and when we thank God ahead of time, for putting the pieces back together when we will return as tired and broken people. So what do we do with all of that? With the knowledge that our service is going to be imperfect and that we're not God, what do we do? I think the answer is in today's gospel. We have here the story of Jesus entering the house of Simon the Pharisee, a man who was described right before our reading began today as, quote, one who has rejected God's will for him. Simon, the Pharisee, has been spending so much time trying to be good enough and trying to be right that he's living in denial of his own brokenness. Because he is unwilling to admit his desperate need for forgiveness, he's blocked himself from experiencing the mercy and the beauty of God's grace. God's will for Simon is that he know that he's loved that he noticed the ways in which God's love peeks through in the midst of an exhausting world. If Simon were able to notice this, to notice the ways in which God's forgiveness and love glimmer and shine in this world, his life would look different. Rather than being enslaved by expectations and failure, Simon would be able to serve God by pointing to God's presence in this world. Simon's life would look a lot more like the life of the woman who unexpectedly enters his house during a dinner party. This woman, whose reputation in the community is pretty bad, people are talking behind her back about how sinful she is on pretty much a regular basis, she enters Simon's house without an invitation. That's pretty bold. And then she walks up to Jesus, the honored guest, bold again, who is reclining on the floor with his bare, probably extremely dirty feet behind him. And then she starts to cry. As she cries, she uses her tears to wash Jesus' feet, and she lets her hair down to wipe them. Now, by today's standards, that would be a weird encounter. But in the time period that this was taking place, this would have been extremely inappropriate. Touching someone's feet had sexual overtones, and so did a woman's hair. And women weren't allowed to be in the public sphere. This woman's worship of Jesus Christ breaks every single rule and social convention of that day. 
She's protesting. And it doesn't stop there. After all of this, she pulls out fragrant oil and she starts to anoint Jesus' feet in a moment of love and devotion. And then Jesus tells Simon and everyone else in the room that the reason this woman's life looks like this, the reason that she's not enslaved by societal norms, the reason that she's able to praise God without abandon, the reason that she's able to point to God's presence in this room so beautifully and powerfully is because she knows already that she has been forgiven. She has noticed the ways in which God's love and mercy and grace have impacted her life, and now she's set free to live and serve differently in the world. Because this woman noticed the glimmering of God's presence in her life, she encounters the world differently, and her capacity to love has grown. Her life is a model to us sitting here today, because in this story, I think we learn what serving God in the world really means. What it really means when we say we will go in peace and serve the Lord. Going in peace and serving the Lord means waking up to God's presence, which is already all around us, pointing to it, and then responding in love for one another. When we're here in worship, we practice noticing God's presence. We notice it in water, we notice it in bread, we notice it in wine. We notice it in the face of one another when we share peace. And then when we leave this place, we thank God for sending us into the world, and we say a prayer that we might help help noticing God outside of these walls. This is what we're called to do when we leave this place. To live with the knowledge that we are forgiven and loved and set free from the expectations to be enough, set free from the pain of failure. Yes, the service we extend to one another will always be broken. But with God's help, we will be able to leave this place and to notice God in the world and to point to God in the world and to help others notice it and to love each other to see the ways that God's love glitters and shines in the world that can feel so dark, so broken. We aren't perfect, no, but God does not ask for our perfection. God asks us to notice God's love and forgiveness at work in the world and to respond by helping others to notice. God promises to love us in the midst of our stumbling, and God believes in us. This is work that we can succeed at with God's help. So as we all leave this place today, I pray that we might leave with fresh eyes to see and to notice where God might surprise us this week and that God might grant us the strength and courage to love one another differently in response to that. Go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks be to God.